This is episode 89 with Joe Tafoya. Welcome to The Athletic Mindset. I'm your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer, forever athlete, and personal performance coach. Today, I sit down with former defensive end linebacker for the Seattle Seahawks and the Chicago Bears, mainly in his career, Joe Tafoya. Now, Joe lives on a farm with his wonderful family and is a true pioneer. I'm excited to share his story and insights with you all today. We talk on how to stay in your own lane, not worry about what's going on around you and what those around you think and staying true to your work and staying true to yourself is really the key to success. So let's get into it. So Joe, welcome to the Athletic Mindset Podcast. Appreciate your time today. How are you feeling up on the farm? Thanks for the invite. We wake up early out here and we wake up with the roosters. They wake up at five-ish. Got to feed everybody. It's always raining. I live in the Pacific Northwest, so <laughs> there's no excuse for it now. You have to know that it's coming. But when it rains, it makes things a little more difficult to deal with. Pushing a wheelbarrow around and, you know, all that, all that fun stuff. Yeah. 5 a.m. wake up call, anything different from your playing days or is that something to do in your whole life? Definitely different. <laughs> OTAs and training camp, you get used to waking up that early. But I live kind of a sedentary lifestyle now. You know, I don't travel around. I don't do a whole lot off of the farm. So there's not really a reason to wake up super early other than it's just kind of habit at this point. It's built in. I still have dreams where I'm late to meetings and I'll wake up in a panic thinking I've missed something. <laughs> they're, they're, they're more like nightmares. They're not really dreams. I was to say those are the things that stick with you, right? We all have that reoccurring dream that we we missed the game, we missed the the pre meet seasonal uh, too, you know. Like I get all whenever it's training camp season, like in August September, I'll have these weird dreams where I wake up and think that I've missed something, you know. I got fined one time, and I think that was it's a little PTSD from getting fined six gonna... grand for missing a meeting. <laughs> Imagine yeah. that. That, that one will hurt a little bit. Do you think it's just because you've been preconditioned over years and years and years that like these months of the year, this is the focus of your mind and body. These months of the year, this is the focus. And it's just kind of been habitual from there. 100%. I mean, I spent 18, 19 years of my life doing the same thing. And when it's built in, it's built in. You know, it's a very militaristic lifestyle when you're playing sports at the level that I played at. And then you're on a, you know, they set an itinerary and you have to be there on time. If you're late, then, I mean, depending on which stage you're at, if you're professional, then you get fined. If you're in college, you got to run. If you're in high school, you lose your spot. So it's built in, man. It's a mechanism. I can't get rid of it. I was about to say it's ingrained in your mind. How did you get started in football of all things? Was that the first love of your life? Did you play other sports too, or? was always that I, I started playing baseball at a very young age and I've got a huge family let me start there and extended family I've got like my grandfather had 11 brothers and sisters and they all kind of lived in the same area so there's first second third fourth fifth cousins that we know <laughs> and we're a sports family northern California so we grew up watching the 49ers in the 80s and the battle of the bridge between the Oakland A's and the San Francisco Giants during the heyday you know I watched Ronnie Lott and Roger Craig those guys play football and my family always got together around sports 
And so they put me in sports. And at a very young age, it was obvious that I was one of the best ones. And my first time out, I was an MVP of my peanut league softball team. <laughs> and it just continued on that same trend throughout my career. I didn't actually like football that much, mostly because my brother was a lot bigger than me. He mm -hmm. still is, by the way. And he would get really into it, you know, and like throw me on the ground and, and kind of beat me up. And so my whole life, I was like trying to be bigger and stronger and better than him. And that's just not something that I really liked. Football later on in high school, that was where you got the girls. And so <laughs> that's, that's the reason I started chasing football and playing football because I was, everybody's telling me how great I was at it how great I was at it, but baseball was really my first love. I was about to say those late teenage years, what more motivation do you need, right? Then not much, man. This is what not happens. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what was that transition from high school into college? You ended up playing ball at Arizona, correct? Yeah. So my junior year, I started getting phone calls and letters and visits from pretty much every major university from Ohio State, Michigan, the Florida schools, smaller schools, big schools, all the Pac-10. Well, it was Pac-10 back then. Yeah. I started doing football camps and going out and really showcasing what I was about. I went to a UCLA football camp. I went to a Nevada football camp. Went to one in Los Angeles at USC. And I got a chance to, my dad was trying to expose me to what it was going to be like in in college and so when I was a junior they started coming and visiting like at a high rate I was very highly recruited I was a blue chip all-american five-star athlete and all of my teachers knew hey this guy's gonna go play football at a major university we better help get his grades and his curriculum in order so that we they kind of worked around that you know and then when my senior year rolled around. I started getting like real for real offers. I think the first school to offer me was Boise State. And then just, it was a, a number of other schools. It was like a lot, almost all of the Pac-10 schools offered me. I was on my way to take a visit to Washington, the Huskies. And then I got a phone call from the University of Arizona there was like real competition, you know, it's not like that for everybody. I'm not sure if mm -hmm. it's like that anymore, but there was a lot of handholding and there was a lot of painting a very nice picture for what life was going to be like for Joe. So my transition was very, very easy. Do you think on the flip side of things, like fast forward four years going into the NFL and then afterwards, do you think because of those transitions were a lot of hand-holding, like let's paint the picture and make it the easiest thing in the world for you, that it actually didn't help you in the long run of things? I think living in a world where everything is taken care of for you and living a lifestyle where you, it's not realistic, you know, mm -hmm. like it's not real life. It's not the real world. You don't, walk into a university and have somebody take care of all your books for you and then wash your clothes for you and feed you. You know, this is a time when you start becoming an adult and you start learning how to do things on your own. 
And in a way, there was a lot of hindrance. I, I wasn't able to grow quite as fast as a human. However, it was very nice, not just for me, but for my family and for everyone that had supported me to know that there was a system in place that takes care of you. Eventually, the inherent traits that you have are just going to start to show. And, you know, I'm a man's man. I like hunting, fishing, and I change tires and I'll go outside wearing Crocs when it's 20 degrees. <laughs> I don't know if that considered, that's not really a man's man. That's kind of dumb. But it didn't help a lot of other people. I wouldn't say me specifically, because mm -hmm. I'd like to get down and dirty and do things. But there were a lot of guys that had definitely did not help them move on and become an adult. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it definitely can hinder some just development in your psyche, for lack of a better term. But then on the other on the other side of things, it it's pretty nice when it allows you to be so hyper focused on the thing that is your vehicle to life at that point in time. It ended up paying off for you, obviously, as you got drafted and ended up playing seven years in the league. Do you think a lot of that has to do with your ability to hyper-focus on that task that's at hand, whether it's the play that's in front of you, the next game, whatever it may be? Yeah, I mean, it, it's personality. There's When you're in locker rooms, as much as I've been in locker rooms, you meet all kinds of people, and you meet adults and younger people and you meet personalities that you know they're very opinionated you meet the alphas you meet the betas you meet people you can work with people you cannot work with and it it's a very strange ecosystem and i think you know getting thrown into that you're able to grow in certain ways and if you have some of those, those personality traits that allow you to thrive in an environment like that, like being outgoing, social, being able to work under stressful circumstances and being able to adapt and being resilient, those personality traits are the ones that help you move forward. Otherwise, you had better be the top caliber athlete in the locker room, because if not, you slowly start to fade away and people, you know, the locker room will help you rise. It will also be your demise. The guys inside of the locker room can help push you in the right direction or they can really hold you back. So if you don't have some of those personality traits or characteristics that we talked about, it can be a big hindrance. And, you know, thankfully for me, growing up in the big family that I did and being around sports from a very young age, you learn how to adapt. And when you have the stage and when somebody gives you a platform, then you have to take the opportunity to capitalize on that. So, but I've seen like really talented athletes, guys that you're like, whoa, man, that guy, he might not even be human, hmm. slowly fade away into the background because they weren't able to adapt. So, yeah. And I mean, that's what this podcast premise started on was analyzing what was that mental difference, you know, that mental differentiating factor that at the elite of levels, what was it that separated the guy that's going to, 
you know, have a, a lasting career in the league and the guy that's might be a freak of nature physically, but he finds himself back on the street in a year or two after getting a shot. What was it that allowed you to pit to play seven years in the league? People like me. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and, and that's not just because I've got a great personality or whatever. It's because I work at it and I build strong relationships with my peers, with my superiors, with my subordinates and the people that are in the locker room, you treat them well, everyone from staff, training staff, equipment staff, coaches, managers, owners, you're the same person all the time. When you're a jerk, you kind of stand out. People know it right away, you know, and you have to be really good. You have to be really good. The margin of difference between like a top caliber athlete, when you get to the NFL, there's not that much of a difference between guys. It's mostly about opportunity. When you are a jerk and you put yourself behind the eight ball that way, it makes getting that extra opportunity really hard. So by being a good person and being willing to work and not just your, your craft, but your relationships within that ecosystem with everybody, when everybody's saying the same thing about you that, Hey, this guy's he's a good dude. I like him. You know, when it comes time to making that decision, like I said, the margin of difference between the guys is not that much. That could be the differentiating factor. And in my case, it always was. They like me. He's a good person to have in this locker room because he's going to help elevate everyone else. He brings out the best. He's a hard worker. He can come off the edge. You know, some things, if you're not a gifted athlete, then you probably, you know, you can only get by so far on that. But make no mistake that there is a differentiating factor when it comes to being a jerk versus being a good person. The jerks yeah. generally don't last. I say being a good person, you can never really go wrong in those situations, whether it's because I think ultimately, I mean, I hate the term of like, it's a business in sports, but you know, it kind of is. So at some point things are going to end and you're let go. People are going to be way more likely to link back up with you and collaborate with you in the real world, whether it is starting an entrepreneurial venture or whatever it may be. If you were always this genuine, intentionally nice guy in the locker room during your playing days, do you think that has helped you with that pivot because I was reading you do a lot of work with guys that you used to play with without a doubt. I mean, that's when you asked what kept you in it for so long, that was it, you know, mm. coaches, it's a small community. The coaches get traded. They go to a different team. They like to bring their guys with them. When I was playing for, or I got drafted by Rich McKay and Jerry Angelo to Tampa Bay. Jerry Angelo left and went to the Chicago Bears. And where does Joe end up? The Chicago Bears. They like me. They thought, you know, they, they had put the investment in. The Chicago Bears, they had a couple of coaches that were over in Seattle. I go to Seattle. One of the coaches from Seattle goes to Arizona. I go to Arizona. And so how you treat people is very, very important, not just 
in sports and athletes in, in the locker room, but in life post-career, some of my, you know, it's, it's just like anything else. Like you only want to work with the people that you like, right? Post-career, my best business opportunities and my best business decisions have come on the heels of a genuine relationship, like people that I really know mm. and like and want to do stuff with. It doesn't always work out. You can't always see the spin on the curve before it leaves the hand. But for the most part, when you have a good relationship with people, it can help you through the tough times. Because stuff does go bad, you know, stuff, it doesn't always go the way that you want it to go. Maybe it's your fault, maybe it's not. But at the end of the day, the thing that will help either get you to the next step or get you past where you are is going to be that relationship. Yeah, I think that's huge, man. You don't even know it, but you're speaking to me. I mean, I just, I just moved to LA and I'm living with two guys that I grew up swimming with. And it's like a huge risk of, okay, is this going to work out or if it's not going to work out? But the point being is we're just having fun with it and in the time and having fun with it, I think really makes it easier to navigate those highs and lows of just life in general. I do want to touch on your time in Seattle because I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about it. What was it like to play in front of the 12th man and the crowd noise being on the defensive side of the ball, how electric was that? Did you feel it on the field? I'm assuming. Yeah. So there was a moment that happened to me. I didn't really know that much about the Seahawk fans and 12th man until I got here. Mm -hmm. I mean, you play on other teams and sometimes the coaches will set up these huge speakers during practice and you're supposed to get climatized towards the environment that you're going to go into and they'd play like white noise or, or loud just so that the offense could work on their cadence and their signal calling. And if they had to use nonverbal communication, whenever it came to Seattle, I noticed that when we were at practice specifically with the bears or yeah, with the bears, when, before we came to Seattle, I noticed that the volume of noise the whole week was just like, Oh man, now we got to listen to these speakers during practice again. And then when I got here, I got it. I understood. It's like a badge of honor that these fans were wearing. And one game, it was the 2005 NFC championship game. We were going to play Carolina and Jake DeLome at CenturyLink Stadium. And I was sitting on my locker getting fired up, you know, the way that you do. Going through my pregame. And I take my headphones off and then this incredible noise and energy just entered my whole body. And what happened was someone had opened the double doors that go out to the, the tunnel that lead into the stadium. And they were out there just fire. I'm getting chills thinking about it now. They were out there just fired up screaming. And cause this was the furthest that this, the organization had ever been ever. And since uh, their existence in 1976, we were going to go to the Super Bowl if we won this game and they were fired up. I mean, everywhere you went in town, there's banners of the 12th man, there's Seahawk colors everywhere. And you could see like, I'm still a fan of this team, not because of my experiences there, but because of my experience in the community. And I'm sitting at my locker and all of a sudden 
it was like a switch like just flipped on and i looked around the locker room and i could see that everyone felt the same way that i did and we went out there and just whooped on them there was not a chance jake delome trying to make a check at one point and he'd had to call a timeout because it was just too loud he couldn't figure it out and they didn't have a chance from start to finish and i always thought i wonder if the fans really know how much of a role they're playing in this game i know they're proud of who they are and what they do but one morning I was taking care of my daughter and she was screaming like right in my ear. And I thought that was like a record breaking scream. <laughs> and I go onto the Guinness world record site cause I'm half delirious. And I saw that there was a record breaking cheer at a stadium in Turkey, a soccer stadium. And I thought, well, it's gotta be louder at CenturyLink than some Turkish soccer stadium. So I filed an application with Guinness World Records to bring their judges to CenturyLink to measure the noise. And holy crap, man, like two days later, I get a phone call from Fox and the NFL network. And, and this is post-career, right? I'm done with my career. So I'm not even a, a player. I don't work for the organization. And then the Seahawks call me. They're like, get your ass in here right now. You started something. You let the cat out of the bag. You got to finish it. Ended up being a world record shattering noise that the 12th man had generated. And they were super proud of it. It was like a trending event for many years. And so I will say that I'm probably more famous post-career than I ever was when I was playing because I was a special teamer and a second string defensive end. <laughs> it's, it all works out for a reason. I think it's – I always have fond memories of like watching Monday Night Football and like them pulling up the – the graphic to measure the sound yeah. of specific stadiums. Started, obviously man. Seattle was one of those ones where I'm like, Oh, I wonder what it's like to actually be in there. It's gotta be something. Just I have the actual bonkers. certificate, the Guinness world record certificate. If you want me to grab it, I will. <laughs> I just do audio for the most part, but oh, okay. <laughs> poor podcasting there. On that end. <laughs> I believe it. You guys did it twice too, right? It was twice, broken um, after the first. And then... So the first time we did it, I got a phone call because I'm not a player and I don't work for the organization. I got a phone call from the Kansas City Chiefs and they're like, hey, can you walk us through how you did that? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I had to pay my own money. I paid 10 grand to get Guinness World Records over. We were selling t-shirts and I turned it into an entrepreneurial venture. Mm -hmm. But Eventually, I made a friend over at Kansas City, and I showed him, you know, I made, introduced him to our judge, and, and then they won it. And then the Seahawks came back to me, and they're like, okay, now as a, if, if we were to do this again, would you be interested? And so it kind of went back and forth, and then it got, it turned into like WWF, you know, like you could tell that it's fake at some point, because I know what it takes to generate that type of a noise, and there's yeah. no way that whatever noise they, they consider that they hold as a record, there's no way that that happened over there. No way. So, <laughs> I was going to say, it, you were about to find yourself as this like go-to independent contractor of all the different teams. <laughs> <laughs> I started getting phone calls from the hearing impaired community. They're like, Joe, this is like not okay. You're going to create some noise-induced hearing loss. Um, I was going to say, that's, was that kind of the first entrepreneurial entrepreneurial venture for you or no, what else no. No, right it? as soon as i was done with my career talked about building great relationships i had a lot of really good friends on several teams and i started a venture fund 
and I went back to those relationships and I said, I told them what I was doing and they had no idea. you know, these guys are playing football and they don't have time for it, but they're like, we trust you, Joe. So here's some money, go make us more. <laughs> so I bought a company from the United States government and it was a distressed asset. And then we basically fired everybody and let it run itself to the ground there were a bunch of subscribers on it, it was a mobile technology company called viva vision and there were like 600,000 users and all of them were paying a dollar 25 every month and so we all made our money back like right away and then everybody started making more money and then one of my investors wanted to start pulling dividends and so i just bounced out of that one and i thought oh this is easy man business is easy <laughs> nope that's when it slaps you in the face. I've had many entrepreneurial ventures post-career and I am an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur. And now basically I just do the things that I like to do and whatever keeps me happy and close to my family. So I was about to say, it seems like you've figured it out after a couple of years. I want to touch on, because we met through Clubhouse in the room that I at least first got introduced to you, you were talking on this idea of being able to be successful based off of your ability to just not care and worry about what those around you are thinking all of the time. When was it that that mentality came about? And when did you start to really understand that it was helping your own performance? Was it during your playing days or was that? No, that started like at a very early age. Sports dynamics in general are very complicated. And, you know, sports, some sports are more complicated than others. Like, I still don't understand hockey. <laughs> but the locker room dynamic and the ability to thrive in difficult situations in those locker rooms is such a monumental thing. I can't overstate this. Like, if you are in sports, you have to have a certain kind of personality or else you're just not going to make it. And part of that personality that I've seen have success and that I have myself is the ability to just tune out the noise because you're going to encounter naysayers from the very early stages. Once you start becoming good, now all of a sudden you're better than so-and-so's kid. And that has nothing to do with you. It's some relationship that your dad is talking trash to their dad. And all of a sudden they're saying bad stuff about you. And that continues on the better you are in sports. And so at some point you just have to find a way to tune it all out. Because if you start listening to all of that negative, it start, it'll build in your soul and it will build a negative entity inside of you that can take over. And so you almost have to build like a shield around yourself. Like just, it doesn't matter what you say about me. Cause I know how to do what I'm going to do. I know how, I know that I'm better than this guy in front of me. So I'm just going to kick his ass. I don't care what it says about him in the newspaper. I don't care what kind of accolades he comes with. And I've had a lot of experience with that negative coming towards me and it, it, some of it's you know from great relationships like brothers and sisters and 
you know, even your parents and your cousins, and they all are naysayers because they don't necessarily want to see you succeed because that means that if you succeed at some at achieving your dream, then they've missed their opportunity to get the, to achieve their dream. And so I learned at a ver- very early age, my grandfather is a very wise man. And he, told, he used to tell me all the time, Mijo, this has nothing to do with you. All this drama has nothing to do with you. And so that stuck with me. And so throughout my life, I've just had this weird ability to just tune it all out, you know, and you get to a certain point in your life also comes with age where, hey, I know I'm good at something, or even if I'm not good at something, does it matter? (laughs) So that's the stage that I live at now. Like, I may not be the greatest at what I'm doing, but I'm not going to listen to somebody else tell me that I'm bad because why? They're not paying my bills. Anyway, sorry to be so long-winded about that, but it's no. uh, it's an important thing because in today's accessibility, with today's accessibility through social media, people are nasty. They're mean. They say mean stuff about you and to you through social media. Twitter, it just gives you this platform to say whatever you want. And there's no real repercussions. And if you start listening to that, that, that entity inside of you will just take over. Yeah. I was about to say, it's beautifully well put. It is that ability to just say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to, I'm gonna just charge onward. I'm going to just do me and, and figure things out. And it's funny because when I mean, we talked pre-recording, just like the quality of your lifestyle now, it seems to be tenfold. Like you're just having a great time. You're oh. doing all the activities that you love to do between hunting, fishing, you name it, all that comes with the farm life. And you're balancing all that with still being able to, to work and be passionate about stuff. So it's, it's inspiring to see someone yeah. else living into really just their true self. You know what I mean? Thank you for that. You know, when I got on Clubhouse and I started early on, you know, and you don't, there wasn't a whole lot there. Mm-hmm. And I started seeing these other people, their profiles immediately build up and they have all these followers. And I'm like, I'm listening to this person talk. They don't even know what they're talking about. <laughs> How do they have so many followers? But if that's what you're after, that's what you can get. You know, I just have always tried to be an authentic person and be my authentic self. And if, people want to follow that then that's cool but if not then that's cool too it doesn't matter to me but you know in in a lot of people's cases in your case also you know if there's probably people that are much better at podcasting and producing stuff and there's people that that are probably better hosts or what but none of that matters you know if you Mm -hmm. just stay true to your authentic self and you're doing the stuff that you like to do I mean, I have a great life. I'm happy. Got a great wife, some kids, got a piece of land. If somebody says that I'm a jerk on Twitter or I don't know what the hell I'm talking about on on uh, Instagram or they're challenging me on Clubhouse, that's not going to affect my life. <laughs> you know, it, if they're one of my customers and they start talking trash about our business, don't buy my stuff. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I think that that can't be understated enough, honestly, because that was really what drew me to even 
you know, extending an invite to getting to know you better and have you on the show. That's such a game changer to just be truly authentic to you, be genuine to you and just make it happen from there. And I, I hear what you're saying with clubhouse. It is a, I have mixed feelings, mixed relationships with that platform because it seems to be turning into one of those where it's just like everyone's there to boast and say, Hey, look at these highlights. This is what I do kind of thing. And they're looking for all eyes on me. Whereas I found at least to me, the most fulfilling rooms are the ones where kind of like the ones we were in, they're yeah, small, smaller, they're kind of intimate. And it was just like, everyone was there just kind of putting their stuff out and saying, this is my opinion. What, yeah. What's yours. And kind of give and take from there. I think what I've taken from clubhouse is that you still can build authentic relationships mm -hmm. with people. Like you seem to be a pretty good dude, you know, Thank and the you. fact That's that we're here on the pod on your podcast and talking, that says a lot. Cause I got a lot of shit to do, you know, <laughs> I could be doing a lot of other things, but you seem like a pretty good dude. And I, I appreciate the message that you're producing. So you can still meet authentic people. Yeah. Um, and, I, I and then, and, and, and I think there's an opportunity for business too with clubhouse. I think you can meet people that are like-minded and people that you can do business with. If it's a dog and pony show, there are a lot of platforms to do that. And you know, that's some people's game. Some people they're selling stuff, they're selling themselves, they're selling business ideas, services, whatever. And that's great. But what I've learned about myself through clubhouse also is that I'm not like hyper-focused on one thing. <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes I'll have a picture of a goat or a chicken on my head. Sometimes I'll be on a, uh, you know, have my earphones and sometimes I'll be professional looking and I, I'm always redoing my bio because I'm trying to figure out who the hell I am still. And I think that's okay. I'm 42 years old. I still don't know what the hell I want to do with my life. <laughs> and that's more than okay. I think everyone goes through that. If you, it leads me to an interesting question. If you could describe who you are without saying what you do for a living. How would you describe yourself? I would describe myself as tenacious. Hmm. I like that. That describes me. I like that. If I get a hold of something, whether it's an idea or whatever it may be, I'm after it. I will go to the ends of the earth if it's something that I believe in. Hmm. So I'm a very tenacious person. That's a, that seems to be a common thread among a lot of the the elite level athletes so it's a <laughs> definitely a great trait to have well, it can also be detrimental if you can't see what the hell you're doing like if it's if you're making a mistake sometimes you can't see that you know that's why it helps to have teammates or business True. partners or life teammates that can offer that refreshing perspective and say hey joe you've been banging your head against this wall for 10 years it might be time to like try something else <laughs> against the grain man that's the other way i would describe myself hey you start going one way i'm gonna go the other yeah and you my have wife to be it. We, yeah. uh, we give each other native american nicknames and her native american nickname is low bowl shit meter because <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't have a tolerance for bullshit you know hey it keeps it, i'm sure that has come in handy in your your yeah. own life personal professional doesn't yeah. matter 
Well, I'm full of it, so it's it's a good balance. <laughs> there you go. It works out. I got um, five questions for you to, to end out here. I call them the fast five. They're going to be one sentence or one word answers, just kind of rapid fire to, to close things out. Number one I got for you is, what's your go-to podcast that no one's heard of? Crime Junkies. I'll check it out. I love these questions because I learn learn crime junkies new ones to check out myself number two favorite book in the past year that you've read love marks look it up quote you live by what you do speak so loudly i can't hear what you're saying love that one thing you can't live without coffee (laughs) we're up early man i gotta have my coffee i was gonna say that 5 a.m wake up call it's the only way you can survive Last one here, number five, your one word focus at this point in time. Family. Love it. Without it's, always, it's always something new there. I, I haven't heard that one yet. So oh, it either says something about the people I've had on the show or says a lot about you or both. <laughs> yeah, that's my theme, man. If I were to have like a theme above my head, it's family. It's a perfect focus to have. My last question, Joe, I mean, again, I thank you for your time. I appreciate you and just what you're doing in the world, how you live your life unapologetically you. I hope those listening in can take something away from this and have the courage and confidence to start doing that a little bit more in their lives. Where can they keep up with all things Joe Tafoya in the farm life? Yeah. I was talking to my wife about this and she said, you know, you should revamp your Instagram. So Joe Tafoya Instagram, I I'm going to start, using that as an opportunity to teach people Mm. like sustainable living and just get a little bit more involved with, you know, I know you live in Los Angeles, but there are ways to be a little more sustainable and to have more of a in touch relationship with nature. Mm -hmm. So I really believe in that. You got to put your feet in the water sometimes to get that, those good electrons and get your spirit back up. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start using my Instagram as a tool. I love it. I can't wait to see that kind of content coming out from you and and learn a little bit more myself. There you go, man. Appreciate you taking the time to listen today. Joe attributes his success to his ability to filter out other people's opinions and go after what he is called to do. He's not afraid to listen to his heart and focus on his own craft. Something we can all use a reminder of. I know I can. Share this episode with a friend, family member, or teammate who could benefit from Joe's story and perspective. Remember, if you can change your mindset, you can change your life one thought followed by one action at a time. I'll see you all on Monday.